This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Ingress. The Golden Eagle has completed its maiden flight, but the prize money bonanza continues on Saturday the 9th of November with the running of the $1 million golden gifts for the two-year-olds at Rose Hill Gardens. Co-feature is the Hot Danish Stakes, a Group 2 for fillies and mares, worth half a million dollars. Then it's out of town on Saturday, November the 16th for the Hunter at Newcastle, a race worth $1 million over 1,300 metres. A week after that, on the broad stretches of Kembla Grange, the Gong will premiere over 1,600 metres, also carrying $1 million. And that will bring down the curtain on an unforgettable Sydney Spring Racing Carnival. And to think, it's all on again next year. Segment two coming up with young Blake Spriggs. Well, Blake, you couldn't wait for school holidays to come so that you could spend some time on your late grandfather's property at Moree. I met your grandfather, Kevin Harton, many years ago when I was guest caller at a couple of Moree Cup meetings. Uh, you tell me he taught you a lot about horses. He did. Um, you know, I've, I'm very lucky to have had a lot of good teachers, um, you know, in terms of riding. But I think my grandfather taught me something that, uh, you know, not, not a lot of people, um, you know, are lucky enough to, to know. And that's, you know, to, 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 to be a true horseman. Um, he was he was very good at, at, at understanding a horse before he even sat on it and, and, and picking, picking up their traits very quickly. And um, that was something that, you know, I guess I tried to take on and whether I, I've taken on a, enough is, um, you know, is, is something that I have to sort of keep working on every day. But, um, yeah, I was, I was very lucky to, to have a good teacher in, in, in my grandfather. And um, I know a lot of people around the town of Moree respected him as a horseman. And, um, you know, I can, I can fully appreciate why. I also met your grandmother, Loretta, uh, back in those early days at Moree. I believe she now lives in Sydney, and uh, I'd love you to give her my very best regards. I uh, will do. Well, when you made the call to sign up as an apprentice jockey, you were very fortunate to enter the employ of a bloke called Steve Hodge at Newcastle, and Steve had quite an impact on young Blake Spriggs. He did. Uh, you know, obviously look back on those days very fondly and um you know working in steve stables was was a great sort of time in my career um i was very laid back and um very very cruisy i guess and and which which was nice because that suited my personality i you know i needed to be able to just you know go about my, my job and um spend the extra time with with horses if need be and and just enjoy being around the animals and um to be able to learn you know stable life that way was was very important to me and um like i say it's something that i look back on very fondly you know not all trainers allow their apprentices to ride work for other trainers that wasn't the case with steve hodge yeah that's right and uh that was that was very important in my career because newcastle was lucky enough to have some great trainers and and you know chris lees was was a, a big sort of a uh, big supporter of mine early days, and um, Steve appreciated that and allowed me to ride work for Steve and and also Paul Perry at the time. So, you know that was a integral part of 
you know, my country career uh, kicking off and to be able to go and ride work for those trainers and build the associations and, um, you know, build build relationships with owners as well was, was very important. And mm. I guess that helped me to be very successful uh, around the country circuit very early. Uh, I was very lucky to, to ride a lot of winners very early in my career and I, I think that that's something that played a big part. Whose decision was it to ride in as many barrier trials as you did? You seemed to go around in a hell of a lot of trials. Yeah, I did, and that was something that uh, I guess Dad thought of. It, you know, he wanted me to be experienced because uh, at the time I didn't understand it, but now looking back, I know that uh, you know there was obviously going to be an expectation on me uh, very early. Um, you know, just being the son son of another rider, and I guess you know we're seeing that with. Uh, the likes of Canberra or Willer at the moment, you know, there is that expe- expectation that they're going to be, you know, a little more forward than than most other apprentices. And I guess that's why I did so many extra trials were, was just to make sure that, um, you know, I was going to be very prepared and, and to be able to go out and, and ride my first race and know what was going on and, and you know, and look the part, I guess. Mm. Oh, gee, a lot of young blokes... Uh find the, themselves in this situation, don't they, being sons of successful jockeys. Jordan Childs is another good case in point. Uh, young Michael Poy in Victoria, son of Michael Clark, a multiple Group 1 winning jockey. Yeah, look, it's you know it's great to see. You know, it's passing on through the generations and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously something that, you know, like I said earlier, it, it is a lifestyle, so it becomes, you know, something where family's heavily involved in and, and they have no choice in that. So I guess, you know, children see their parents growing up as, as role models and to be able to go to the races and, and see, you know, your father or your mother, you know, experience the thrill of racing, it, it's sort of very hard to, to ignore that and, um, you know, you, you aspire to, to be able to do the same. You joined a very exclusive club. On March the 14th, 2008, when you rode a winner at your very first attempt. The filly's name was 60 Watt at Musselbrook. Yeah, she's, uh, you know, she's some, someone that, well, a horse that brings a smile to my face because, you know, to start off with a winner is, is something very special. And, um, you know, we'd, we'd been waiting for a horse like her for quite a while, uh, you know, at the barrier trials, we're waiting for a horse that, that could basically show me the way, you know, bounce out, show a bit of speed, you know, be forward in the race and, and, you know, not force me to be back in the field trying to look for runs and, um, and she bounced straight to the front and she never looked back. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> Blake, let's review that exciting day at Rose Hill Gardens on July the 17th, 2010. I'll bet it doesn't seem that long ago when you achieved what few apprentices have ever done. Your former manager, Wayne Harris, achieved that feat one day at Randwick as an apprentice many years ago. Yeah, look, Wayne was um, Wayne was an integral part in my, my career and, you know, I, I guess I always looked up to him and um, I knew I had a really good book of rides uh, that day and, you know, as jockeys, we, we see that, you know, when we're doing the form, you know, we, we I guess we look at the chances and, and then look at our rides and think, well, yeah, we've got a nice book, but you never, you never you know, see it as if you're going to ride, you know, four or five winners in the one meeting, you know, especially as an apprentice early days. And I remember uh, the first race, I, I ran second and um, I was a little bit frustrated because, I you know, I, I, I thought 
she could win. And um, I, I sat next to Tommy and Nathan Berry at the time and mm. I remember vividly saying to them, you know, maybe it's just going to be one of those days of, of seconds and thirds when, you know, when you've got a good book of rides. But as it turned out, I, I went on to, to ride five winners and um, <laughs> <laughs> it was something that's, yeah. that lives on, in the, lives on in the memory and, and still gives me goosebumps when I think about it. Well, the first of the five was a two-year-old called Crossbow for Gay Waterhouse. Yes, um, he was. He was actually an interesting runner because um, he'd raced earlier in the week at Gosford and and won, had won by about two or three lengths. But mm. something happened with the barriers that I can't recall, and they ended up rec- um, uh, calling it a, a no race. Uh, mm. So in the form guide, he you know it was down as if he hadn't run before, and he was obviously a maidener. So. Mm. Um, it, you know, he was an interesting runner in that sense, and you know, he bounced straight to the front. And in typical Gay Waterhouse fashion, he mm. he controlled the race and and went on to win quite well. Well, the second of your five winners was African Prince for Chris Waller, so you'd be thinking at that stage of the day. Well, I'm happy with that. A double, I'll cop that sweet. Yeah, and he was a horse that uh, was very frustrating for the stable at the time. He you know he'd shown a little bit early days and had quite a while between wins and I remember Chris just said to me, you know, he's, he's a horse that needs to get rolling from the 600 and, and give him plenty of room because he, you know, he seems to be thinking about things and finding reasons not to win. So I came right down the middle of the track out wide and uh, yeah, he, he was, he was a horse that uh, had a really superior um, staying ability uh, for, for triple crown syndications and, um, yeah, at that point I thought this is a great day and, and would have been happy walking home with, with, mm. with just two winners at that stage, I guess. Well, the show rolled on and a little later in the afternoon, Atomic Force for Darren Smith was your third winner. Uh, pretty good horse too, Atomic Force. He proved that later, didn't he? He did. Uh, he ended up being a uh, dual group one winner. Uh, mm. He he won uh, a railway in New Zealand and, and won a, a, a galaxy at Randwick. So. Yeah. Um, he was he he was a really nice horse, and um, I remember, you know, riding him in a couple of weeks earlier. He he won very well for me at Randwick and, and showed good ability. And um, to see him win like that that day uh, really impressed me. And I was I was keen to stick with the horse and would have loved to have ridden him in the Galaxy. But mm. I was told I was told at the time that if Tim Clark couldn't ride him, I was the next one on. But uh, unfortunately for me, Tim Clark took the rod with both hands, and mm. and uh, the rest is history. Yep. Win number four was Mr. Unforgettable for Kevin Moses and finally Miss Independent for Chris Waller made it five for the day. Now, you were telling me that something happened that day that affected you deeply. You've never forgotten it. You showered, you got dressed and you were walking off the course at Rose Hill Gardens when something happened that touched you deeply. Yeah, look, I was um, was obviously... I, I wasn't walking out of the room. I was floating. I was still sort of coming to grips with, with what I'd done. And um, I got to the, the, the members area there at uh, Rose Hill. And for whatever reason, there was still quite a few people on course just enjoying a few drinks. And when I opened the door and walked into the members area to, to start to go home, um, mm. everyone stood stood up and, and uh, you know, gave, just applauded me. And um, yeah. You know, it, it, gave, it gave me goosebumps and it still does, you know, at, at this mm. time. For, for everyone to, to appreciate what I'd done, I, I guess, was, was, was very special. And, um, you know, like you say, it's something that I'll never forget. You had only one ride on a lightly raced horse called Squamosa 
for Gay Waterhouse, but you got on him on the right day. You won the Group 3 Run to the Rose. Yes, it was, uh, it was my first group race and there was a lot of... Um there was a lot of hype around about this horse. He started a short price favourite, and I think he'd had three or four starts for four wins, uh, or, or obviously three wins. And um, you know, I, it was it was a difficult one for me because I I remember vividly that when I was walking out of the the jockey's room, I just happened to to walk uh, meet up with with Gay, and she said to me, she told me as I was walking out, she said, "Now make sure you speak well to these owners because they never wanted you on." Goodness and uh, yeah. <laughs> so as you know which was understandable i was still only a three kilo apprentice riding what could be a, a very uh, valuable cult um in a mm. group race so you know so that I, I didn't blame them for that at all and uh you know that i just took that as a challenge and, and thought all right i can i can go out there and really prove my worth here and mm. um thankfully you know i was able to to, to get a nice time in front and mm. he kicked clear and and won very well and He's a horse I, I think we never saw the best of. I, I think he was he was extremely talented and, um, you know, he, he, we saw that when he went on to run second in the Golden Rose. Mm, i better give his name another mention, Squamosa. Uh, that was nine years ago. You had a soft spot for a horse called Morris. You won a race at Doomben on him when he was trained by David Van Dyke and you rode him <clears throat> in a Doomben Cup, Blake. Ran fifth, but, gee, you were close up. Yeah, he was. Uh, he's a special horse. He was um, another horse of Waratah Thoroughbreds, and when he won at uh, Doomben, he you know he really blitzed them, and it was it was only an ordinary field, but I was really impressed with the way he, he went about his business that day, and he showed me that he could be competitive in some big races. And at that time, I hadn't won a Group One race, and when he was when he was due to run in the Doomben Cup, I, I thought that he he could be a rough each way chance, and. I remember getting to about the six or seven hundred. He he was a horse that when he decided to pick up the bridle at that point of the race, you, you had to go with him because if you restrained him, he, you know, he he just wouldn't sort of pick up and go again. So yeah, I was off. able to get yeah, that's right, and I was able mm. to get him into the race, and he really towed me forward, and um, he hit the front on straightening, and uh, it gave me a lot of excitement, and it was just the last fifty meters, hundred meters, he just started to feel the pinch a little bit, and. And probably some superior staying horses um, in our Ivanhoe, I believe it was, sort of, mm. you know, which ended up running in a Melbourne Cup. They they were just a bit stronger late. Mm-hmm. Well, unquestionably, your favourite is Sir John Hawkwood, who began his career in England with Sir Michael Stout. You won six races on him when he was trained by David Van Dyke and John Thompson. You won a Christmas Cup. You won a Group Three Sky High Stakes. You ran second on him in a Brisbane Cup, second on him in a Kingston Town Stakes, and then came the Group 1 Metropolitan. When did you think you had the Metrop 1? <laughs> um, I, was, I was very confident in the week leading up to it, to be honest. He, he just, he'd shown me a lot in his track work and, and um, he, he, he just gave me this feeling that he was just spot on for the race and Doing the form, I thought that his best form could be good enough, and I knew that he was he was in his best form. And um, when he jumped and landed in that perfect spot, um, you know, just behind the leaders, I, I knew that he had a, a really good turn of foot. And the the best thing that this horse, uh, the best trait that he had was that he was he was honest as the day is long, and he was a, he was a real competitor. So when I got the op- opportunity to to kick clear at the 
at the 400, I, I took it with both hands because I knew that, you know, when he felt them coming late, he'd still pin the ears back and give me everything he had. And thankfully he did that. And I remember the last furlong, I was, I was just, I was building up inside and the emotions were already starting to kick in because I, you know, I, I knew what I was about to achieve and I'd, I'd waited, I guess my whole life to be able to do it and to be able to do it on that horse who, you know, who, um, when I started riding him was struggling to, to win benchmark races as a seven year old, um, was, was very special. And the moment where I hit the post and I just, I never thought that I would salute, you know, and stand up in the irons, but the, the emotion at that point was just, it just, I, I guess, took over and, mm. uh, you know, I, I let out a big, big sort of cheer and, 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 and punch the air and, and sort of, yeah, it's, it's, it's still giving me goosebumps now. Paul Fudge has been very supportive of young Blake Spriggs, hasn't he? He has. He has. He, um, he's, you know, he's someone that I remember when I started riding for him, he said that, uh, you know, he had, he had jockeys in Sydney that he liked to use. And, but if I, if I continued to work hard and had the success for him, he'd give me the opportunity. And, um, you know, Sir John was, was that reward for working hard and, um, you know, I guess when I think of my career and, and, and look back on it, I guess when I retired, you know, in many years to come, Paul will be someone that I always think about and, and uh, you know, I, I feel like that, you know, I owe him um, a lot of my success, I guess. The English digital online sales have changed the landscape of mixed Australian thoroughbred sales forever. Now, rather than wait for a mixed sale through the ring, Owners, breeders and vendors can offer their product within a matter of days thanks to the twice-monthly English Digital Online Auctions. English now presents an online auction in the middle of each month and another at the end. Since going twice-monthly, the auction has averaged around 150 lots per sale and has exceeded a million dollars per sale with a clearance rate of almost 80%. To enter a horse, or register a bid. Visit EnglishDigital.com and follow the prompts or call 9399-7999. There was a time in your career when you were managed by your mother, Leander, who for much of her life has answered to the nickname of Chica. Who in the world put that nickname on your mother? Um, I, I believe it was my grandfather. I just can't remember the exact reason for it. It was, it was something to do when when she was a child. Um, yeah, it was. It, I, I can't remember why it happened, but it's yeah, it's something that I, I know a lot of people um, don't even know her her real name. Um, they only mm. they only know her by the nickname. And uh, there's been times where you know people will be talking to them about, about her and mention Leander, and people will say, "Who are you? Who are you talking about?" Um, so that you know, they have no no idea, but it's 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 an affectionate nickname, I guess. And um, yeah, it's uh, you know, it's always funny to hear people when they don't don't realise that a real name's actually Leander. Well, Leander or Chica or whatever you want to call her, must have had a fair grasp of form at the time because she steered you onto a few winners. She did. Uh, she doesn't let me forget that she managed me when um, when I rode the five winners. So whenever. Whenever she she wants to give advice nowadays about managers and what you know what rides I should be taking and uh, and everything else, she's you know she's quick to remind me that you know she she did manage me during that time due to Wayne being 
uh, Wayne Harris being a little bit sick and, and uh, in hospital. So, yeah, she's, she, she doesn't let me forget it. We, we have a little bit of a laugh about it. But she, she, was, um, she was dad's manager for quite some time. And so she, she knew the ins and outs. And I guess she knew, um, you know, what, what trainers wanted and, and what trainers to ride for. Mm. You have a brother, Dustin, who's not a regular race goer, but he's a pretty good form student, you tell me. He is. Uh, he he's he actually does the speed maps for Rachel and myself, and uh, yeah, he's got a very good eye for, for picking out you know the the speed of of certain horses, and and also picking out horses that could could run back in the field or run midfield, and but just he can just pick the way that they you know they finish off that they could show something in their next couple of starts. So he he does help us out a lot with his form, and he is. He is a school teacher, um, you know, as his profession. So, um, you know, I guess he's he's uh, he's in the in the classroom teaching te- teaching the kids about racing as well. <laughs> There's a very funny little story about your sister Dimity, who was never allowed to ride a horse, and for very good reason. <laughs> That's right. She was uh, she was always very good at ballet when she was. When she was young, and uh, she was lucky enough to to make the uh, Australian Ballet School, and she danced at the Opera House, so she was quite successful and showed a lot of promise early days. But ended up, um, you know, with a few injuries. But yeah, she was she was never allowed to sit on a horse as much as she wanted to because uh, mum and dad felt that she could end up bow legged, which a lot of jockeys <laughs> a, lot, a lot of jockeys do. So. Uh, they were very worried that that could destroy her ballet career. So, yeah, yeah. She's, I don't think she sat on a, a horse to this day. Yeah, interesting point, Blake. I've never heard of or seen or come across a bow-legged ballet dancer. <laughs> no, it's uh, plenty of bow-legged jockeys, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of your greatest thrills was to ride a Moree Cup winner while your grandfather was still alive. A huge thrill for you and an even bigger one for Kevin Harton. It was in 2009 on a very good old bush horse who also raced well in town called Geigeron. Yeah, look, that's uh, probably an emotional memory to me, to be honest. Um, grandfather, uh, My grandfather had a lot of horses, um, you know, before I was born and um, you know, trained and owned, and was never able to win a, a Moree Cup, which was his hometown, and mm. um, that's that's something I guess you know st- that stuck with him. And uh, I remember going up up to Moree that year, thinking that I had a great chance, and it was obviously you know Guyron was trained by my old boss Steve Hodge, which made it even more special. But mm. Grandpa was was becoming sort of unwell by that time; he was finding it hard to 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 get around, and. Um, and you know he 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 made the effort to get there that day, and um, to be able to deliver something that you know he'd wanted for such a long time, I guess it, it it gave me the the sort of feeling that I was able to give something back to him when he'd given me so much. Apart from your dad, who are the jockeys who've inspired you? Uh, look, I, I I've tried to take a little bit from from each jockey. Um, I used to follow Darren Beeman quite a bit as um, you know, as as a young kid. He was obviously the number one at that time. Um, Wayne Harris gave me a lot of advice when he was managing me, and, and still does to this day. He you know he he played a big part, and and you know to be able to ring him after each race meeting and go through each ride and tell me what I should have done, what I shouldn't have done, and um, 
you know, was, was, was a very big part. And then you go to, to someone like Kieran McAvoy who, mm. who came back uh, to Australia at the time when I was an apprentice. And to be able to see the flack that he put up with at, when he first came back, it obviously took him a little while to, to sort of fit back in with the Australian way of riding. And I remember the newspapers were very harsh and punters were very harsh on him. And, and to see, you know, the 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 professionalism and, and the poise that he showed, um, you know, in that time, that was something that I'll always remember. And, and he's someone that I'll look up to. But mm. I guess, you know, nowadays, like Nash and, and Huey are obviously the, the best of the best. So, you know, I guess a lot of these jockeys can play a part in your career with, without them realising. You know, you just sit there and watch and, and learn from, you know, as best you can. I'm not at all surprised that you included Wayne Harris on your shortlist there. Uh, when I talk of Wayne and when I think of his talents, I'm reminded of that line of Banjo Patterson's, no finer horseman ever held the reins. Yeah, look, he was... He was obviously when he was at his best. I was obviously uh, very young, so I, I, you know, I didn't get to see a lot of him. But I remember reading his book um, when I started riding, uh, as I knew he was he was going to manage me at some stage. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about him, and you know, to to be able to sit there and and listen to his advice, I, I hung off every word, and um, you know, he he was always you know, very, very quick to sort of keep me in line to make sure that, you know, my head was in the right place, you know, not a, not uh, not only just on the track but off it as well. And I remember when I was having a lot of success, he, you know, one of the quotes he, he always told me was, today's newspapers are tomorrow's fish and chip wrappers. So, you know, it was just something to, to say that, you know, success can come and go and just because people, you know, are saying that, you know, you're doing well and this and that, you know, doesn't doesn't mean that, you know, you can – rest on your laurels and, 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 you know, just think that that's okay. So mm. he, he, he pushed me very hard and, and like I say, that he's someone that I'll always look back and, and appreciate the advice he gave me. And the book that you mentioned, the, the Wayne Harris biography, was very appropriately named Riding on Courage. Uh, it pops up from time to time in the old bookshops and I've seen it on eBay more than once, but uh, if anybody would like to read... Uh, about the wonderful career of a wonderful jockey. The Wayne Harris story comes very highly recommended. That's right. Well, Blake, you're 27 years old. You're as strong as an ox at 54 kilos and you've put plenty of experience under your belt. All you've got to do, my boy, is keep working hard and I know you will. Uh, thank you, John. That's, uh, you know, like we say, only, only 27. I'd like to think I'm at the peak now and... If I can keep working hard and along with getting this great support from good trainers, I, I know that if I'm, I'm given the opportunity, I can, you know, get, get back to where I once was and that's, you know, riding these big race winners and, and uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Have you set a date for the wedding yet? Uh, we're, we're thinking July, uh, July 19, I think it was, uh, in England. So um, Rachel's father's very old school. So when I asked him if it was okay to marry his daughter, he said that, it was absolutely fine, and and he'd be wrapped. But he just he had one request, and that was that we get married in England. So um, it'll be a good time to get back because it's obviously around the time of Royal Ascot. Um, so we'll be able to go and sort of have a have a look at the the racetrack and, and experience some great racing. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to to be able to have a have a special day with with a special girl. Delight having you on the podcast, Blake Spriggs. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, John. It's been a pleasure.
And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Supernova Sound.